0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at CandlewoodArtsFestival.org.
1: Good morning, I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, November 21st. Hundreds of migrants are sleeping at the San Diego airport. More on what migrant advocates are saying is the problem next. But first, let's do the headlines. The strong Santa Ana winds are expected to continue today. Santa Ana's are strong, dry winds from the desert that often pose a serious fire risk. This week, the winds don't bring a great threat of fire thanks to cool November temperatures and the rain we got last week. That's what National Weather Service meteorologist Alex Tardy says, he also says the winds may reach 65 miles an hour in the local mountain areas.
0: This is the strongest Santa Ana wind we've seen this year so far. We've had five other events, uh, so this would be number six, and it's much
2: worse to the north.
1: San Diego's wind advisory is in effect through 4 p.m. today. The other side of the Pedwest pedestrian crossing at the San Isidro Port of Entry is open. That means travelers can now head into Mexico through the southbound facility at the border crossing, but only between 3 p.m. and 11 p.m. Traffic into Mexico through Pad West has not been allowed since April 2020. Last week, the northbound direction of the border crossing from Tijuana into San Diego reopened, but only for limited hours, from 6 in the morning to 2 p.m. The CHP is increasing enforcement over the Thanksgiving holiday in an effort to get impaired drivers off the roadways. The agency says the increased enforcement will start at 6 p.m. tomorrow and go through 11.59 p.m. on Sunday. All available CHP officers will be on duty during that time. Over the Thanksgiving weekend last year, 37 people were killed in traffic crashes statewide, and the Highway Patrol arrested over 1,000 motorists on suspicion of DUI. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need.
3: Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura,
0: Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right.
1: As we head into the holiday season, hundreds of migrants are sleeping in San Diego International Airport. Border reporter Gustavo Solis says advocates see this as a sign that taxpayer dollars
3: targeted toward migrants aren't being well spent. Do you want water? Yeah. That's a volunteer at San Diego International Airport, helping migrants reach their final destination. The work involves a bit of translating and walking people through the TSA boarding process. Volunteers also feed migrants as much as 200 meals each day. That's because more than 1,000 migrants have slept in the airport since November 10th. This is after San Diego County gave $3 million to one local nonprofit to help this specific migrant population. Other migrant organizations say the money is not being spent wisely.
4: There are, you know, over 100 people sleeping in the airport every night.
3: That's Lindsey Toslowski, executive director of the Immigrant Defenders Law Center. That's the nonprofit helping migrants at the airport.
4: People are arriving with no flights at all. Um, so they get there and they, you know, then are sleeping in the airport trying to figure out their
1: flights still.
3: And some of those with flights are being sent to places where they have no support system. Toslowski says some are ending in shelters or on the street. Most of the people sleeping at the airport come from the newly opened Migrant Welcome Center, run by SBCS, formerly known as South Bay Community Services. Migrants there get free food, water, and access to Wi-Fi and phone chargers. Most of them have the means to cover their own flights, but in some cases, SBCS puts people up in hotels and even pays for their airfare. County Supervisor Nora Vargas pushed to make this funding available. Vargas held a press tour there last week and called it an example for others to follow. I think this should be the model for the United States. But not everyone feels this way. KPBS interviewed more than a dozen nonprofit workers and volunteers. They described growing tension between SBCS and other migrant-serving nonprofits. They point out that the county's $3 million is running out fast. It was supposed to last three months, but SBCS is now saying it will be depleted in two months.
4: And the fact that they're saying that they are going to run out of money in early to mid-December, it, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I would want to see an accounting of actual expenses.
3: Erika Piñedo is the executive director of Al Otro Lado. She's particularly upset at the fact that SBCS is using county funds to cover transportation costs from Customs and Border Protection facilities to the Welcome Center. CBP used to cover the transportation costs back when they would drop off migrants in transit centers throughout the county. Now, SBCS is using about 10% of the $3 million to transport migrants from CBP facilities to the welcome center.
4: And so that has resulted in hundreds of thousands of dollars that should have gone to nonprofits, instead going toward transportation, which falls squarely in the purview of the federal government.
3: Catherine Limbo is CEO of SBCS. She says keeping services at the transit center would have been way more expensive than covering transportation costs in a centralized location.
4: Anyone who who was at Iris and is here today can say that it's a better site.
3: SBCS stands behind their work. This is a totally unprecedented situation in San Diego. And without the Welcome Center, they say some of those migrants would end up in the streets of San Diego. Lembo acknowledges tension between SBCS and the other nonprofits, but says the Welcome Center has provided services to more than 22,000 people since it opened. And she considers that a lot of help for $3 million.
4: But if you look at this center and you spend any time at this center, um, you will know that the migrants are getting good services.
3: Back in San Diego International Airport, volunteers continue to struggle to keep up with the number of migrants showing up. What's most concerning to Toslowski is that some of the migrants at the airport are being flown to cities where they don't know anyone.
4: You know, flights are being purchased for them to go to New York or to Seattle or to other places where if they don't have a sponsor, they're essentially just entering into the migrant sheltering system of that other city. That is actually no different than what Governor Abbott does um, in filling buses in Texas and sending them to other places
3: around the country. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. A new report says
1: more than half of those detained by immigration officials in the San Diego area are kept too long. Reporter Matt Hoffman says overcrowding was, in part, to blame.
0: The report comes from the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Inspector General, detailing findings from unannounced inspections in May. It found more than half of detainees in the San Diego area detention centers were held longer than 72 hours, which is a national standard for federal agencies. Pedro Rios is with the American Friends Service Committee.
3: The concern is here that if they're being held for a longer amount of time, that the facilities just aren't equipped to provide for the needs that they might have.
0: The report found Customs and Border Protection generally met other standards, like providing food and medical care, except for some worn bedding at one facility. CBP told KPBS that they were working to respond to our questions, but the report did have two recommendations that officials responded to. The first was to come up with new strategies and solutions to manage delays. CBP's official response was they concurred and have already taken steps to do so by increasing staffing, coordination with community groups, and using technology for virtual processing. The other recommendation was to review detainee custody logs each month to monitor progress, something CBP also agreed with. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News.
1: A community activist has filed two complaints with the California Department of Justice against the San Diego Police Department and Chief David Nislight. Reporter Alexander Wynn says the complaints allege corruption and abuse of power.
2: Community activist Tasha Williamson is calling for the immediate resignation of San Diego Police Chief David Nislight and Assistant Chiefs Chris McGrath and Terrence Charlotte. The allegations come on the heels of a discrimination complaint filed by Police Captain Alberto Leos last month. He alleges that the department's top brass altered reports concerning traffic collisions involving police officers. At the news conference, Williamson was joined by Yusuf Miller, executive director of the North County Equity Justice Coalition. Leadership is responsible and culpable, and we need to find out the truth of the matter. This ricochets all the way down to the street cop, the cop that is on the beat. In a statement, San Diego Police Officers Association's president, Jared Wilson, says Williamson's claims are, quote, not credible, and the SDPOA will be reviewing this for libel and legal action. Alexander Wynn, KPBS News.
1: Coming up, we hear from our resident movie critics about the films they're thankful for. We'll have that just after the break.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.
1: Ahead of Thanksgiving, movie critics Beth Hakamando and Yazdi Pithavala share some films they're thankful for. Here's their interview with my colleague Jade Hyndman. We have talked about films to be thankful for in the past, so before we discuss the particular films you've selected, tell us what you're looking for in your choices today, Beth.
4: Well, I decided that since there is a new Japanese Godzilla movie coming out at the end of the month, minus one, and there is going to be a new series based off of the American Godzilla movies that's going to start streaming and tapping into the Monsterverse, I decided I wanted to look at monster movies that I am thankful for. So I love a good creature feature, and I'm very grateful for what monsters offer in terms of the awe and wonder and fear and even social commentary
2: that they can offer.
1: All right. And Yazdi, you know, we know you have trouble limiting your picks. (laughs) So what were you looking for in these selections?
2: I always have trouble with my picks. But what I used this time for selecting my movies were two things. One is I picked movies that were released this year, which kind of went under the radar and need more championing. And these were also films that kind of made me ponder about things that I hadn't previously thought about. And I'm certainly thankful for both of those things.
1: Yazdi, your picks deal with relationships, but in very different ways. Your first pick presents what you could describe as a very unusual love triangle, right?
2: Yes. So, Past Lives, which is uh, from first-time director Celine Song, is definitely a very different take on the relationships uh, or romantic movies genre. The film essentially examines two characters at three different points in their life. Initially, when the boy and the girl are little kids growing up together in Seoul, Korea. And it's the second time after her family has immigrated to North America, and they are only able to contact with each other through social media. And then one last time, another 10 years later, when she's already happily married in New York, and he finally has the ability to come visit her in New York. And here's a quick scene from Past Lives. Past Lives.
1: He was just this kid in my head for such a long time, and then he was just this image on my laptop, and now he is a physical person. It's really intense, but I don't think that that's attraction. I think I just missed him a lot. I think I miss Soul. Did he miss you? I think he missed the 12-year-old crybaby he knew a long time ago.
2: You were a crybaby?
1: Yeah. Most of the time, you'd have to just stand there and watch me.
2: And the film is about so many things, but mostly it's about what might have been, about what we leave behind when we immigrate. Being an immigrant myself, this really resonated for me because you kind of leave a portion of yourself behind when you immigrate, and when you build a new life in another country, you kind of form a different version of yourself and everybody you interact with, people, your friends, your spouse, only know that version of you. Whereas when somebody else from your past life comes, visits you, they know that older version of you and how do you reconcile the two? So it's a very unsentimental, gentle look at, you know, how we reconcile different versions of ourselves. And it's so wonderfully, wistfully, achingly well made. I just have tremendous love for this film. And the film is uh, streaming and available for video rental if folks want to check it out.
1: All right. And Beth, you mentioned Godzilla, but um, he's appeared in dozens of movies over seven decades. (laughs) So is there one Godzilla film you're most grateful for? Yes,
4: I will go with the original Gojira from 1954. Part of the reason is this is the first one. This is the one that introduced people to this creature that was created out of a radioactive blast. This came after the US had dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. So it had a very strong kind of social commentary going on. And it introduced the world to what I think is one of the most iconic monsters ever. Mm I think Gojira is the most appropriate film to watch right before Minus One. Minus One is not a direct sequel to any of the Godzilla films, but it is set after World War II. There's even a kamikaze pilot who's one of the characters. And again, this is in the aftermath of the U.S. dropping two atomic bombs on the country. So Gojira is a film that taps into similar thematic threads, and I think will be really nice to watch in advance of that. Plus, Gojira has a really special place in my heart, because he rose out of so much pain and suffering and anger, as well as out of this really bold and imaginative creativity to create this creature. There is a suit actor. These are the people who put on these big rubber suits. And back in that first film, I think the suit weighed more than the actor did. It was like 200 Mm. pounds. And that was Haru Nakajima. And he gave us a Godzilla that had such a vivid personality that he was magnetic. And that character would morph over the years. Sometimes Godzilla was the monster that destroyed everything. Sometimes he was the defender of the planet. And I love the fact that he could morph and change like that. But it all starts here with Gojira, and I am forever grateful to the team of director Ashiro Honda, special effects genius Tsuburaya, and suit actor Nakajima for giving us this magnificent monster.
1: That was cinema junkie Beth Akamando, and Movie Wallah's Yazdi Pithavala speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Heidman. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Tuesday.